Lord Jesus Christ, you were speaking about the Holy Spirit when you said that anyone that was thirsty and anyone that would believe in you could receive living water and out of them water would flow and give life to others like that vision from Ezekiel 47 where the water flowed out of your temple. Here we are this morning, ready to receive your word inspired by your Holy Spirit. Would you make each one of us into a temple flowing with water that gives life to the world? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You may have noticed that every Sunday we read the gospel out of this beautiful gospel book. And if you've never seen one, I invite you just to come up sometime and look at it. And all it is in here is the gospels. And I want just to point out the color is, of course, the same color of Pentecost. And this Pentecost color is always with us. It's the color of red. It's the color of the Holy Spirit. And that color reminds us that when we receive these words, we are receiving the very words that were breathed by the breath of the Holy Spirit. Good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. I spent a few days at the beach. I was really taking this assignment to wear red seriously. And so I was trying to get my skin as red as I could. And it wasn't a good idea. I'm not going to do that again. It's good to see you. I think actually most of the sunburn is under here, so. Our gospel reading this morning in John 7 begins with these words. On the last day of the festival, which raises for us the question, well, what festival is that? And if we had read a little earlier, we would know that this is the festival known in English sometimes as the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, which is all two words for tents. I believe the right pronunciation uh, for our Jewish friends is Sukkot, and the word for tent is Sukkah. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but they, they build these little booths and live in those booths. And so Jesus has come with his disciples to the holy city of Jerusalem, and he's there to celebrate this festival. Now, I want you to imagine that you're living in this small, walled-in city, walled city of Jerusalem. And just so you guys know, almost every city in the Bible is a small city compared to our cities. They're not that huge. And you can kind of walk around the whole thing without too much trouble. And in that small, walled-in city, everyone's living right next to each other. And so some folks with more means might have a little bit larger of a house or occupy more of a house. And there might be families that are a little uh, more poor and they might have a smaller house. Maybe it's not as well furnished as their neighbors right next to them. But the thing that is for sure, everyone is living right next to each other. Not like in Atlanta where we have, we're kind of like the wealthier folks are in their neighborhood. And then if you're middle, you know, it's kind of like you're living next to people that are like you in Jerusalem. Everyone is living next to everyone, and they kind of know what their life is like. And then on this one week of the year, it's really fascinating. 
Because what everyone does is they build a little tent in front of their home. And for one week out of the year, everyone is living the same. And it's a wonderful feast, and I'm sure there are a lot of themes in there, and I'm sure it means a lot of things. But one thing it has to signify is the unity and equality of God's people. Where there is this shared life together lived in the streets. I was reading a little bit about it uh, from a rabbi, and they were saying that this festival they call the Feast of Joy. It's the, it's the time of joy. Think about the joy that comes from that kind of like diversity, right? You ever feel this way where it feels like we're all on the same page and there's just like a tremendous joy from having this feeling of, hey, we're very different, but somehow we're all in this together. I was living in Berlin in the summer of 2005 during the World Cup. And it was such an amazing experience of equality and unity in the streets. Because everyone in the city seemed to be about one thing. Like people went to work, but it wasn't really about work. They couldn't wait to get out from work and to go watch the soccer games together. And there were these huge screens set up in the streets. And then like whole pubs just became a viewing and just thousands of people everywhere together, all doing the same thing, all hopeful about the same thing. It was a little piece of heaven on earth. It was a little piece of wild equality and unity and all this togetherness. And there was much joy. And I can imagine that Sukkot, the Feast of Booths, at its best must have had and maybe still has a similar energy to this feeling. Before we get into Jesus' words, I wanted to name two themes. And the first theme is what I've been saying. It's this theme that's connected with equality and unity that results in joy. And the other theme has to do with water. There is a key ritual that is associated with this festival that would happen every day. Toward the end of the day, the priest would go out from the temple and they would have these golden vessels and they would walk down and there's this pool called the Pool of Siloam. And so all of the water basically in Jerusalem comes from this one spring called, I think, a Gihon Spring, right? And so if you've never lived in somewhere like California or the desert, you're super dependent on whatever that one thing is that provides all your water. In Jerusalem, it's that spring. And that spring goes down to a pool. And so those priests would go down to the pool and then they would, they would get a bunch of water out of that pool. And then they would bring it back up and they would walk back up to the temple. And then they would do what's called a libation. You know what a libation is? It's when you offer a drink to God. And God had them and they would pour out that water over the altar. And I wanted to show you guys that today because this is the context of when Jesus, in the middle of this feast, in the, in the middle of the streets, Jesus cries out. And this is what he says on the last day of the feast, after they have been seeing this water poured out for seven days, he says, let anyone who is thirsty 
Come to me and let the one who believes drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. What a scene. Can you imagine being there with Jesus and all of a sudden he just yells this out in the middle of the crowd? Like, what would that have been like? I don't know if you guys ever read, like C.S. Lewis talks about kind of liar, lunatic, or lord, and says, you can't just say Jesus was a good teacher, right? Like, either he really was who he said he was, or he's lying, or he's like crazy. And this is definitely one of those moments for me where I'm like, if you really aren't the very source of life, you are crazy narcissistic, right? (laughs) Think about it. He can't just be a good person. He's yelling out in the middle of the streets, if you're thirsty, come to me and I'm going to give you water. And you're going to drink and you're going to live. What a bold statement. And then I love what John says next because it's really cool when the Bible says, and this is what Jesus was talking about. John says, now he said this about the Spirit, which believers in him were to receive. As yet there was no Spirit because Jesus had not yet been glorified. John is saying whatever Jesus was talking about when he was talking about the water there, he's referring to the Spirit. And so this morning, I want us to reflect on the Spirit through these words of Jesus recorded in John 7. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Have you ever been thirsty? Are you thirsty this morning? What I love about the language of spiritual thirstiness, it doesn't matter if you're Jewish like Jesus was in these folks. It doesn't matter if you're non-religious. It doesn't matter if you grew up in church or not in church or, or whatever your background might be. I think we can all relate to this idea of being thirsty. I think most of us know what it's like to have a spiritual thirst. And so I feel like Jesus is speaking language that somehow we can all relate to. We've all longed to be filled and satisfied. And Jesus this morning is saying, the spirit is like water for a parched people living in a dry land. Now, summer is upon us. For those of us that are parents, it's upon us in a very real way that we're very much aware of. And I don't know about what you guys did, but in the summers, I would spend almost the whole day outside playing sports with my friends. It's all we want to do, football and basketball mostly. And I can remember being down the street at our friend Joel Tardo's house. And, and they had a really good basketball court, so we would always go over there and play basketball. And it felt like we would be playing basketball for hours in the hot Louisiana New Orleans sun. And I know they call this place Hotlanta, but if ever you feel like you're getting hot, just go spend a day in New Orleans and you'll realize it's even more hotter and more humid and it's like a swamp, right? And I can remember after hours of playing basketball, you're just so crazy thirsty, right? And then every now and then, Miss Tony, Joel's mom, would bless us with a pitcher of Kool-Aid and some cups, right? Because in the 90s, we didn't know about water. There was, Kool-Aid was water, right? 
I don't even know how it is. I don't know how we don't all have diabetes. The kids here, these Gen Zers don't know anything about it. But before there was water, there was this thing called Kool-Aid. And it's, it's all kids drink. Right? Jesus. Uh, my, my parents come over, they were amazed. Like, your kids drink water. This is amazing. Isn't <laughs> that they didn't know that they could have just given us water. Anyway. But you were just so thirsty. Can you remember just like guzzling that down after playing sports and just like how good that felt as it went down? When was the last time you were just so thirsty and you just drank something? It just filled you. Probably some old guys here after cutting the grass this last weekend. Sometimes I find myself at the end of the day. It's not really late yet. It's still early evening. And I am just like so tired and so lethargic. And it turns out I haven't had a really long and stressful day. I didn't wake up especially early. What happened was I ate dinner and I just forgot to drink anything with it. Maybe I ate a bunch of sushi and I was just soaking it in soy sauce, right? So just like my salt content, right? Or ate some fried chicken, right? You ate Popeyes and didn't drink any water with it. And then I'll just go grab some water and drink like two or three glasses and suddenly I feel alive. Suddenly I feel like awake. I'm like, okay, I got this. And in an arid climate like Jerusalem, the only life that exists there exists from a spring like the Gihon Spring that feeds this pool of Siloam. And it's like this water that's being poured out at the Feast of Booths. It's the very source of life for God's people. And now Jesus is crying out. If you're thirsty like that, there's a source of living water. And if you believe in me, you can come and drink the life-giving spirit of God. There are people in this room who have drank of that water and they could tell you they could let you know of their experience of being deeply satisfied by the Spirit of God. How it felt to them as if they were barely alive. And suddenly they had found new life in the water they have been given to drink. Do we have any Lauren Hill fans in the house? There are three of us. Great. I've got supporters on the front row no matter what. Then us three will might remember her famous song from her, uh, oh, the, from her famous album, MTV Unplugged, where the, she sang, it's just like the water. And in it, she is describing conversion and her relationship with God in the spirit. And it sounds actually a lot like the language of the Song of, of uh, Solomon or the Song of Songs, a lot like the mystics that often related their relationship with God like the relationship of a lover. And this is how the song goes. Moving down the streams of my lifetime, pools of fascination in my sleep, cooling off the fire of my longing, warming up my cold with his heart. Melting down the walls of inhibition, evaporating all my fears, baptizing me to complete submission, dissolving my condition 
in his tears. It's just like the water. I ain't felt this way in years. It's just like the water. The water. I ain't felt this way in years. It's the language of rebirth. And for many of us, we could describe our experience of conversion or our experience of the Spirit in similar terms. It's like the water. I ain't felt this way in years. I feel new. I feel born again. I feel filled. I feel alive. There is a life-giving source that is flowing into me and is flowing out of me. And friends, if you're here this morning and you've never drank of the water, Christ is inviting you to come and drink. And if you're here and maybe you just haven't drank of the Spirit in a long time, Christ is inviting you to stay connected to the source. I can remember, especially while living in LA, which is such a dry and really desert place, I would often find myself getting dehydrated. If ever you spent any time there, you know how quickly that can happen. But there's something else that you should know about me while I'm living in LA. The whole time I was there and the whole time I was dehydrated, there was something in my house. And that thing is called the faucet. And at any point, all I had to do was to go to that faucet and turn it on and pour myself a glass of water. And here's the point. We who have put our faith in Jesus have unlimited access to the life-giving spirit. And sometimes we walk around discouraged and tired and uninspired. And part of that might mean we just need to get more rest and more exercise. And I know often that's true for me as well. But sometimes I'm wondering if we don't just need to remember that we have access to water that never runs out. We're dehydrated, but it's not because we don't have water. It's because we're not drinking. The second thing I want us to hear in Jesus' call is that the Spirit is for everyone. Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty. Just like that shared life you've been living in the tents where everyone can do it and we're all on the same page, Jesus says, just like this unity we're experiencing, this equality we're experiencing, let anyone who is thirsty come. Everyone gets to drink. Anyone can come to Jesus and receive life. You've just got to do two things. One, you've got to know you're thirsty. And two, Jesus says, believe. 
Now, we are a church, an Anglican church that belongs to a diocese called the Diocese for the Church, Churches for the Sake of Others. And the name of our bishop is Bishop Todd Hunter. He's a really amazing guy, and he's got a really amazing life story, and has had a lot of spiritual uh, mentors. And uh, one of his spiritual mentors was a guy named John Wimber. And uh, you guys might be familiar with him. John Wimber was uh, kind of a famous uh, evangelical leader that had a powerful experience of the Holy Spirit and uh, was instrumental in founding a charismatic denomination called the Vineyard. And so a lot of folks would invite John Wimber to come and preach about the Holy Spirit, preach about the gifts of the Spirit and how the Spirit works. So often as our bishop is meeting with us, he's often just relaying little things that John used to say this and John used to say that. And I remember hearing from Todd often that John used to say this about the Spirit. The good thing about the Spirit is that everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play. As someone who's pretty slow and uncoordinated, I kind of like that idea. I was often picked last. Um, But when it comes to the Spirit, everyone gets to play. Kind of reminds you of that story, story that Julie read for us this morning in Numbers. You guys hear that story? Moses is having some trouble with the people, and it's not easy. And so he prays, God, I need some help. And so God says, okay, I want you to call 70 elders and bring them into the tent meeting. So this is kind of like the church building where they're meeting. And I'm going to take some of my spirit that I've placed on you, and I'm going to spread it out. So this is before Pentecost. This is before the spirit was for everyone, (laughs) where the spirit is really focused and concentrated a few people. And the text says that the spirit came down and rested on these elders that were gathered there, and they began to prophesy. But they didn't do it again. In other words, it happened once in the tent, and it seemed controlled. <laughs> it seemed like everything was okay, and, and, and there were, no one felt like Moses' power was threatened by the situation. Because Moses is someone that prophesies again and again, and these people are only doing it once. And so someone like Joshua, Moses' secondhand person, feels like things are safe and still in control. Until they get news from the camp. Somebody runs in and says, hey, there's these two guys in the camp. I don't know if they didn't get invited. I don't know if the spirit just decided, hey, these guys need it too. And it doesn't matter where they are. And I don't care where they are. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And so Eldad and me dad out there got a dose of the spirit. And they began prophesying in the camp. And what does Moses say? Well, Moses freaks out, right? He says, oh, no, what happens? What if everybody wants to go to me dad's Bible study and they don't want to come to mine? What if everybody sees Eldad as a spiritual authority in the church and and now they're not going to look to me? No, that's not what Moses says, is it? Moses says, oh, man, I wish that all would prophesy. If only God's spirit would be poured out on all of God's people. Everybody gets to play. Friends, I don't know what kind of church you thought we were, if you thought we were one of those Joshua churches that are super worried about everything being controlled and super worried about the Holy Spirit being concentrated and almost people being controlled as the Spirit could be concentrated in one person. Or if you thought we were the other type, I'm just going to let you know, we're we're trying to be the other type, right? We want to be a church like Moses. We want to be a church that says, 
Lord, send your spirit on everyone. Would you use each and every one of us to speak the words of God that give life to the camp? We're not trying to control what God's doing. We, we are certain that the Holy Spirit is showing up here among us when we gather, and we really hope he is. But we're also certain that the Holy Spirit is filling you and going with you and going before you and working through you. Everyone gets to play. And this is what Peter's getting at in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, right? In Acts 2 that we read this morning. So the Spirit was poured out, and there are these signs that accompany the Spirit. One sign is wind. We got a lot of wind here. And fire. We got fire here. And these are two things that are really hard to control, right? Like you can't control the wind when it blows. And fire can easily get out of hand. And that's part of the point with the Spirit. The Spirit blows where it wants to. And then all of a sudden the disciples are speaking languages that they weren't taught. The Spirit has just given them ability to praise God's name in languages they've never heard before. And it is in the middle of another feast called the Feast of Pentecost. And so there's all these people from around the world that have come to Jerusalem for the feast. And they're hearing God's name praised in their native tongue. And so they're freaking out and they're saying, well, what is going on here? And so P Peter takes the opportunity and he gets up to preach. And he preaches from the prophet Joel and he's like, oh yeah, what you see happening, it's like what the prophet Joel said. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Sons and daughters. Get it? It's male and female. Not just your sons that are going to speak the very words of life. It's your daughters that are going to speak the very words of God to the people so you can live. It's your, your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. He's saying don't discount the young and don't discount the old. And in America, we have the tendency to do both, right? We want to expect nothing from our kids, but then we can be super ageist, can't we? We can imagine that as folks get older, they have less and less to give. And what the Spirit is saying this morning is, no, 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 no. Young men and old men alike, young women and old women alike, are going to be filled with God's Spirit to do this work. And then verse 18, even upon my slaves, both slave men and slave women, in those days I will pour out my Spirit and they will prophesy. Again, friends, socioeconomics. Is it only going to be for the wealthy people? Is it only going to be for the best educated among us? Nope. It's going to be all of us, rich, old, male, female, young, old, poor, rich, doesn't matter your ethnicity, God is pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. And then Peter goes on to describe the kinds of signs in the heavens that are taking place. And down in verse 20, 21, then... Everyone who calls on the name 
of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone, just like the word all, just like the word anyone. Friends, these are Pentecost words. It means everyone gets to play. Third thing I want to point out for us in the words of Jesus is that the Spirit is for the benefit of everyone around you. We could say it's the Spirit not just in you, but out of you. So when Jesus first starts talking, he says, hey, if you're thirsty, come to me and you'll drink from the living waters. But then he says this, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. You see how fast the metaphor changed? <laughs> First, we were talking about going to the source of life to drink. And now Jesus is saying that those who believe in him will actually have a source of living water flowing out of them. The text says actually out of their belly is going to flow living water. We've already seen this morning kind of this image of, of what's happening at Sukkot as the water is poured out and there's water everywhere as Jesus is talking about this. So they're familiar with this image of water in the temple. And it also recalls for me this chapter in Ezekiel. And if you don't know about Ezekiel, he's this prophet that you can read about in the Old Testament. And if you go there in Ezekiel 47, Ezekiel says, I had a vision of the temple. And I saw out from the temple that there was water flowing. And it, it flowed out down the steps of the temple. And it just began to flow and flow and flow. So that there was a river. And it just rises and rises and rises. And if you could think about the picture of this desert land, if you could think about yourself standing on a mountain in Israel and what it would look like in Jerusalem. And if, you, if you're familiar with the Dead Sea and just how desert that is. It's this idea that this river flows from the temple on down to the Dead Sea. And that as it flows, it's giving life. And trees and plants begin to sprout. And then fish are team, the water is teeming with life and fish. And that water flows into the Dead Sea. Why is it dead? Well, it's so salty, nothing can live there, right? And water flows into that Dead Sea and suddenly it becomes like fresh water. And this is the vision that Ezekiel had of the temple. And now it appears that Jesus is talking about a vision very similar, but instead of the actual temple, Jesus is talking about you. Jesus is saying that that is going to happen to you. If you put your faith in him, you'll become a temple where the Spirit of God can dwell in you and you'll become the very kind of place that people can experience God's presence. And then your life is going to give life to those around you. Friends, Pentecost is not just something that God wants to do in you and for you, but it's also something that he wants to do through you. When I think about the gift of the Spirit and also what it means to be a life-giving person and for the Spirit to give life to others around you, 
I often think about uh, some friends of mine that live in Berlin. Berlin's the theme of the day today. By the way, I'm going there on vacation uh, not too long. I'm super excited about that. Uh, and I'll get to see these friends. I'm going to tell you their story. I was working with the campus ministry there uh, in the mid-2000s. And um, how do you say the mid-aughts? Is that how you say that? 2005 to 2008. And um, there was a really amazing woman, student in our group, a med student, who was just full of God's life-giving spirit. She just really loved Jesus and exuded the joy of the Lord. And she gave life to those around her. And she had a childhood best friend uh, who was a Turkish Muslim named Aitin. And she invited Aitin to move up to Berlin and to move into our apartment and just kind of like, let's start new and I'm going to kind of help you get in the school and to kind of, to kind of push, push your life in a better direction. And so Aitin was just spending a lot of time around, around this woman named Natalie. And Natalie was just sharing Jesus with her, really just sharing the life that she enjoyed with Jesus with her, reading the Bible with her, sharing life, just, just open to her. And the Spirit of God was using Natalie to draw Aitin closer and closer to Jesus. Finally, one evening, uh, Aitin was at one of our meetings and she was having a conversation with my friend Philip. And Philip asked her, Philip, by the way, is a very new Christian, and so it's really funny to listen to a brand new Christian from Germany talk to a Muslim about Jesus, and he's discovering things, and he's just sharing what he discovers as he does. And he says, well, in Islam, is there something called the Holy Spirit? Like, do you have this thing? And so Aitzen went home that night super curious about this thing called the Holy Spirit. By this time, the Spirit had been working in her life so much, and I'm sure she had just about come to believe in Jesus. She is laying there in her bed, and she just prays, God, if this is real, I want to know. I want to know about this Holy Spirit. And I don't know exactly what happened that night. But something happened and the presence of God entered into that space in a powerful way that I can just knew that the spirit is here and is real and it among you. And so she woke up Natalie and said, I don't know what happened. I'm feeling this Holy Spirit thing. Was it long after that on an Easter afternoon, we were heading down to the lake called Vanze to witness Aitin receiving the waters, the life-giving waters of baptism in that lake. It's a beautiful picture of what it's like for the Spirit to flow in you and for these life-giving waters to flow out of you and into others. As we wrap up the sermon this morning, I want to ask, have you received the Spirit? Have you received the Spirit? And if the answer is no, you might be asking, well, how can I receive the Spirit? Something that I found very interesting in this text from John is that John mentions uh, that the Spirit had not yet been given. Literally, the Greek said, was not yet. So in what sense was the Holy Spirit not there? Why was the Spirit not yet given? 
Well, because something had to happen first. Jesus had to come and demonstrate the spirit-filled life for us. And then Jesus had to, in the power of the spirit and in obedience to the Father, go to the cross. And there on the cross, he died for all of us. He died in our place. He died for our sins. And it's through his death and resurrection that have made the way for us to be united with the Spirit. He prepared the way for the sending of the Spirit that we could literally be caught up into this life of God that is the Trinity. He had to first be crucified and risen and his body glorified and then the Spirit could come. And so, friends, you can receive the Spirit only because Jesus made a way for everyone to be filled with the Spirit through his death and resurrection. How can you receive the Spirit? Jesus said, if anyone would believe in him, so in his good news, in his death and resurrection and lordship overall, they would drink of the life-giving spirit. Peter put it this way in his sermon, repent, so turn from your ways, believe the good news about Jesus and be baptized, be soaked in the life-giving water. Every one of you, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. Friends, Jesus is calling. If you've never put your faith in him, if you've never made a decision to follow him, today is a great day to start your journey. To anyone who is thirsty, Jesus stands here in the middle of us and he cries out and he says, come and drink. Amen.